Hi, I'm Christine Anderson, a librarian who focuses on cultural heritage engagement and loves reading across multiple genres. And I'm Josie Thames, a professional scheduler who primarily reads from a gigantic backlist of fantasy novels and romantic comedies. We're two friends who love to talk about books and book culture so much so that we formed the Fox and Heron Literary Society in coastal South Carolina. And when we get together to talk about books, we almost always veer off topic into other areas. So we decided that the next logical step was to launch our own podcast celebrating the books that we love. So welcome to Off Subject with Fox and Heron. Josie, we were both big readers as kids. What were your favorite books growing up? Um, I had quite a few favorite books growing up. We were very lucky. Uh, my mom loved to visit the library. So we were for us. So we were constantly supplied by books. I spoke last week that my grandmother always had books around the house. And I honestly, I still have a lot of the books that I actually owned as a kid because books were also seen as rewards for wow. us not just entertainment they were they were rewards um you, we got books for christmas we got books for birthdays we got books for getting good grades on our report cards so um i actually have a lot of those books that i still enjoyed as a child i actually have little i guess they were early versions of graphic novels but they were compiled peanuts comic strips and i had in my little eight-year-old hand had written stage directions and notes for a play I was apparently putting together I had never heard of you're a good man Charlie Brown at that point <laughs> so even then I was baby Josie being a baby director all the way back then so were you already into theater when you were that little no no oh. I, I, I say I, I did love the Muppet show right. um never missed an opportunity to watch it I did know I guess I knew that's what I wanted to do I wanted to be Rita Moreno just because I saw that one episode um I remember well I can't say that was the one episode but I very clearly remember that was my first memory of the Muppet show is seeing Rita Moreno on the Muppet show singing Peggy Lee's fever with animal <laughs> and she was gorgeous and funny her comic timing was unparalleled it had this gorgeous red dress all at the same time and I, I was like five and I remember looking at the television going that's what I want to be like that that that's who I want to be and then I guess I was in plays as a child in church I do remember playing a little cow um, in, in a Christmas play not a good look for a chubby kid to play a cow. I'm just going to leave that there. But uh, I, I loved it because I remember yelling. I, I was probably like maybe three or four. Mm -hmm. And so I also like, this is one of my earliest memories, period, is looking out at my mom in the, in the congregation and going, Mommy, I have to go pee-pee. <laughs> <laughs> and the entire audience blew up in laughter. And I was like, Oh, yes. I want more of this. <laughs> found your so, place. <laughs> I found my place in absurdist comedy. So I just, I just wanted to make people laugh all the time. I just, I loved that. Oddly enough, I was not the class clown. In school, I took myself very seriously. I liked making my friends laugh. But in class, I was very uh, competitive and driven and... Um, yeah, not, not the class clown at all. Very, very serious student. Um, but, but yeah, um, so no, but not involved in the theater at all, except like church plays. Okay. You know, so, and watching them up at show. Um, <laughs> I didn't actually get involved in theater until my thirties. Um, I guess, I guess, well, I was in the drama team in church as a teenager. I guess that kind of counts because we did skits and stuff, but like it never, it never felt that always felt like leading worship. That didn't feel like doing a show. Yeah. When I'm backstage at the Strand, that feels very different than being backstage it does. doing a show with, with drama team. It right. does. It feels very different. So I, I, I don't necessarily count that. Okay. Um, and I never, I never got to make people laugh doing that. I always had to make people think and I didn't, I always wanted to make people laugh. <laughs> so anyway, 
which I feel is our, our catchphrase anyway, because we're constantly <laughs> we're having to steer our own selves. We never do that to one another. We just say it to ourselves. We're steering our own selves back to the topic at hand. Um, so lots of Peanuts comics, lots of Muppet books. I had, uh, I had Muppet comics and I had Muppet storybooks where the main Muppet characters would play figures from history and literature. I, I remember the two big ones. I remember Kermit as Robin Hood and Miss Piggy as Maid Marian. And then my favorite one was Kermit as Mark Antony and Piggy as Cleopatra. Cause uh, that one fit much. <laughs> I love, I love Miss Piggy anyway. <laughs> Me too. She is a strong woman who knew what she wanted and was not afraid to ask for what she wanted. She wanted to be a star and she wanted her Kermit to love her. That's so, right. So I talked about peanuts and the Muppets. I do want to tell you that my favorite peanuts character has always been Lucy. Very clearly remember a comic strip where she just taught, I think at one point she talked about how everything just got on her nerves. Like everything was annoying her. We're just like, I feel that deeply in my soul. <laughs> love it. I always like <laughs> Peppermint Patty. Oh, I love that. For- <laughs> Peppermint Patty. She's such a fun, misunderstood character. <laughs> He's so in love with Charlie Brown and he doesn't even care about. Oh, he- that makes me laugh at the same time. <laughs> he only had eyes for the little redheaded girl. Let's see. Okay, so the the big books. Our top six. Our top six. Um, Let's go back and forth on this one. Okay. Uh, Before we go into our list, Christy, were you a big reader as a kid? I already know the answer, but I think you should say it anyway. (laughs) I loved um, Sesame Street, Muppets, anything with uh, a a female Mm -hmm. character in it. Because back then, we're talking, what, early 80s? You didn't have a ton of girl characters and things. There was like one or two to choose from. And right. I loved Miss Piggy, but I also loved Janice and the band. And the electric man. <laughs> so, you know, but you didn't see a lot of her. I loved anything that had a, a female that I could look up to. I, I don't know why. I guess because we want to identify. So, yeah, I was big on Muppets. I remember reading the funny papers that came. My granny would save the Sunday funnies for me so I could read them because there was always the little ones that were in the weekly paper, but they were in color and <laughs> multiple pages like right. the Sunday funnies were. Right. Ferdinand the Bull and just only John and Fletcher and just all of those really little kid books that I would read over and over and over again. And I'm like you, I still have them all stuck on a bookshelf. So I love that. So now we're going to get into our top six. Let's get our top six, our big, our big, our big mamas. My first, the first series, the first books I ever like fell in love with, like could not get enough of would check them out at the library at school and then read them in a day and then check them out again so I could read them again more slowly. Like I, so that's Beezus and Ramona, the entire Ramona series by Beverly Cleary. I loved Ramona. I identified more with, with Beezus because she was the older sister. The whole series is told from Ramona's perspective, from mm-hmm. her point of view. But Ramona never, this book was, they were written in the 50s through really the the 70s, I believe, for a span of time. So she never, Ramona never quite fit into what was seen as um, becoming of a little girl at that time. But Beezus always was. Beatrice was just a little lady. And I felt, that's how I felt. Well, I kind of identified with both of them, but mostly my little sister who, Tracy, who I love dearly, she, I consider one of her her, I consider her to be one of my best friends in the whole world now that we're adults, but you know, she never acted the way I wanted her to act. She would be kind of <laughs> embarrassing and wasn't afraid to fight somebody if they needed to be fought, you know? And I just thought to myself, well, if we're just quiet and act like ladies, people will just leave us alone. But Tracy was like, no, people want to be beefing with us and I'm going to do something about it. I love the Beezus and Ramona books. I now actually I never owned them as a little kid. I always, like I said, I always took them out from the school library, but I had a particularly bad 2016. And because of that, I own every single one of the Ramona books in their, I won't say they're not first printings, but they're as I remember them. Wonderful. Yes. So to me, that's better than a first printing because to me, it's my first way of seeing those books and a couple of them actually were old library books, which makes them even better for me. (laughs) 
I love it. Yes. Book therapy. What's your next one? What's your selection? Your first selection. So my first is Madeline by, or Madeline by Ludwig <laughs> Bemelmans. And I know I say his name wrong every single time. So apologies to anyone who knows how to say it. And I just loved that book. I loved the idea mm-hmm. of all these little girls looking so cute in their little outfits and their hats and their overcoats and they matched and they walked along side by side so perfectly until Madeline would get distracted and wander off or have her adventure <laughs> and it it took me somewhere else it took us to Paris and I'd never been to Paris at that point and I, I was just mm-hmm. I loved it and I loved the ambiance and I loved the cartoons, I'm not ashamed to say, I would watch them even in my teens when they would come on because I just, I don't know why. Oh, yeah. I wanted to name my child Madeline, but had two little boys and that is great for me. But uh, yeah, Madeline's my number one. <laughs> little girls are full of drama. I will tell you that from experience. Full of drama. Teenage girls. It's the teens that scare me most. I will tell you, it is from birth. Oh. Like, <laughs> Catherine, just from the moment, like we, we've been taking Catherine shopping since she was two weeks old. Like as soon as I was allowed to like be out of the house and walk around after delivery, like I was like, I've got to get out of this house. And so my dear mother-in-law, Kathy, she was like, we're going to go shopping. (laughs) And we hit, I remember Dillard's was having this huge 75% off sale. And um, just, she was very good at letting us know what she wanted. Most dramatic right possible she would if she was hungry it wasn't just <laughs> it was wasn't a wine it was a whale if she was um you know just like kind of hold your finger you would have to rub her face like it had to be just the most dramatic <sighs> possible um, so and it just that just never that never ceased Catherine is now almost 20 she'll be 20 in July and she is still the most dramatic person I've ever met <laughs> well done including myself. <laughs> Well done. All right. What's your number two pick? Oh, that's right. It's my turn. People are going to be surprised that I didn't go with this one first, but that's only because Beezus and Ramona was introduced to me first. My next pick is my very favorite book of all time. And that's Little Women by Louisa May Alcott. And then it tore me to pieces. In fact, I love this book so much that I include it in my wheelhouse um, of books that I will immediately... um, tropes that I will immediately pick up and read a book I will want to read and that is sisters any Uh, book I guess that really kind of goes back to Beezus and Ramona but um this one really solidified it if there is a book that has um sisters at the heart of it mm -hmm. um and the main action revolves around the sisters I want to read that book if they're magical that's even better that's an added bonus but that's just since the early the late 1990s like now it's, but it's always just been sisters. And I just, I, I received those books and those little classic abridged illustrated from the Sears catalog. I remember seeing them and I got them for Christmas and I had 10,000 leagues under the sea and Robinson Crusoe. And I was a girl, I was like 10. I was like, oh, let's read this. And Little Women, of course, Little Women was the one that drew my eye because it had girls on the front. When Beth dies, oops, spoiler, it's been out for 150 years. When Beth dies, it broke my heart. And that was the first time a book ever broke my heart. I cried, I wept. It was more than just tears leaking out of my face, out of my eyes. I wept. And, but I loved it. I, I love that a book could make me feel that way. I also over-identified with Meg, who was the oldest. Mm-hmm. She was tired of being poor. She wanted nice things. And she also wanted a sweet, handsome boy to love her. And so, and she wanted her sisters to act like proper ladies. And they rarely did. So <laughs> I guess that's also in my wheelhouse. <laughs> Older sisters who want their younger sisters to act the way they need to. She wants them to act. Controlling older sisters. I have no business telling other people, especially my own sister, how to live her life. Just be who you want to be. I have 10 copies of Little Women. It taught me about, I will buy more. I will not pass up the opportunity to purchase more copies. If there's a new forward or a different cover I don't have, I will buy it and add to my collection. Little Women especially taught me that just because you want something, it doesn't mean it's going to happen. None of the sisters, well, I, I guess Meg and Joe, who are the two older sisters because Beth never reaches adulthood, and Amy, who I know you have <laughs> strong feelings 
Um, she really does get everything she wants and more. Um, typical baby, um, <laughs> baby of the family. So, but Meg and Joe never really, Meg does get her sweet, handsome boy who loves her, but she's still, you know, she's a teacher's wife. So she doesn't really, she doesn't get her fine dresses or her servants or, you know, she, she's still basically poor and she really gives you a big insight of what it's like to be a mother of a mm-hmm. newborn. Of course, Joe, we all have the huge disappointment that Joe doesn't go on to become a writer. And that's my problem with it, too. Like, she should have at least been a writer. Like, why are you running a school? You're telling us in Act 1 of the book that um, that teaching is not right. for you. You know, you don't understand how Meg can be a governess. You volunteer to teach Amy, and yet you're horrible at it. Like, why? 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 I don't, that's, and I know that was a lot to do with Alcott's publisher, how she, and she had to have she had to marry Joe off, and that's my major issue mm-hmm. with the book. Um, I like Amy, <laughs> <laughs> but that's because I gave birth to her. Um, <laughs> so, oh um, my gosh, I'm, really not, I'm not taking a good picture of, of Catherine. She, she's a sweet, wonderful, artistic child, but with a huge huge heart but she also she wants what she wants and she knows how to get what she wants um she's very determined (laughs) young woman so anyway so so that's little women by louisa may alcott it is it's my forever book and actually i had to go and change our notes for next week because that was on my (laughs) list as well like I can't talk about this book three weeks in a row I can't do it it's hard especially that was the same copy that was my introduction to Little Women and I I loved it it I I didn't hate Amy until I picked up the whole novel the unabridged version and then oh. I loathed her why didn't she go instead of Beth I, I when she I'm sorry when she burned Joe's books and papers <laughs> therapy <laughs> that is something I just can't let go <laughs> like it was a real person but anyway out of that same little collection of books uh came my number two pick which is the hound of the baskervilles by author conan doyle and again mm. i i have the unabridged version that i read when i was older but it's my introduction to creepy gothic uh, mysteries and i love that is my wheelhouse through and through which so I guess I feel safe doing it by uh, characters in a book, but I love the whole idea mm-hmm. of it. The mystery of, you know, something's happening and people aren't being completely forthcoming with all the information. And I really enjoyed author Conan Doyle's writing and became a fan of read the shape, the Shakespeare, excuse me, the Sherlock Holmes <laughs> mysteries. <laughs> yeah. It was the Hound of the Baskervilles. That was, really scared was great and you know it gave me a fear of the moors of england and wasn't until (laughs) you know i was much older that i thought well they can't be very different from our pluff mud patches here where you just sink right on down but watching i still fascinated by it because i will sit down and camp out in front of a tv and watch them pull up the bog bodies and mummies that are in there i'm just fascinated by it by the archaeologists who work in there but i'm terrified of the moors for this reason what do they smell do they smell the same are they like swampy and marshy and salty See, i don't know to england would be horrified at the thought of walking through the moors because i just remembered them was such a big impression that that book left on me and then reading uh, Mrs. Pettigrew's Home for Peculiar Children, the same idea that the moors are very dangerous. You don't go wandering out there in the moors, especially at night, because you'll fall through. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I would be interested to know, do they stink? Is it grass grows on top of them, I think? So you really can't tell the difference. I don't know. If anybody knows, please let us know. We We need to know how to correctly pronounce the author who wrote Madeline and we need to know the comparison contrast of the English Moors <laughs> to our low country alright on to number three <laughs> okay. mine is a deep dive like this is some heavy backlist okay. stuff deep track as they say in the music industry 
Um, and that is a series of books called The Class of 88 by Linda A. Cooney. And Linda A. Cooney is a nom de plume for a husband and wife writing okay. team. Husband was, it was team written. They, there are four books in the series, and it's called Freshman, Sophomore, Junior, and Senior. And it follows this group of five or six kids through who were friends, middle school, and they start high school together. It takes them on their adventures in friendship and class, um, well, high school culture, through freshmen, through their senior year. They're kind of diverse, but not really. They're all white kids in the book. Well, at least on the cover they are. Really, they don't talk about it that much. And the, they don't really talk about it in the book because that one girl definitely mm-hmm. has blonde hair. Um, and I liked that better. Even in the seventh or eighth grade, I felt like it was it more represented realistic kids and the Sweet Valley right. High kids. Sweet Valley High kids are like your 90210 kids. Those kids don't exist. Right. You know, so the class of 88 kids, they kind of really couldn't get. Um, one is very pretty, but she's very poor. She's embarrassed of her home. Um, she gets pulled into, I think, cheerleading. My my brain is kind of foggy because, uh, you know, I was right. 12 when <laughs> right. I read these and I'm 23. So I'm on the hunt for them, though. I'd like to have them again and see how they how they track as I'm older, um, <laughs> how they hold up. You know, and then there's a chubby girl who's in love with one of the guys in their group. And it kind of follows, you know, he's kind of oblivious to her. He just kind of sees her as this little, you know, just one of their friends. And so it kind of follows their relationship. And one guy's the class brain and all the pressure that he's under. It was just a really good read for kids who were kind of fascinated and terrified right. of high school kids. You know, it kind of lets you into that world because... Middle school really is different from high school because you're becoming, you know, I'm nowhere other than being a reader, nowhere near the person that I was at age 12. I'm much more confident and it's just really good reading for me in the seventh grade. I I needed, I needed those books at that time, you know, so it was, you know, so yeah, that was very formative for me. What about you? What's your next one? My number three is a collection of 12 short ghost stories from Georgetown, South Carolina. It's called Ghost of the Coast. And it was by a local author, Mm -hmm. Jillian Stevenson Bullock, who wrote a lot of books surrounding uh, the low country Georgetown, our history here. But I loved this book. I would tote it everywhere. It's very well worn. I thought it was fascinating. It had a lot of history wrapped. I was so fascinated by it because we could drive downtown and see, oh, that's the house where the ghost is on the stairs or that's the Mm -hmm. house where the young lady would leave notes for during the revolutionary war in the cemetery back there. And it was around our town. So I had these points of interest that I could see physically in real life. And then of course it had that little bit of scary ghost, but it wasn't like a horror story by any stretch of the imagination. And so I was just fascinated by it. It really (laughs) got me interested in local history. I think that it had a lasting impact. You know, I, I love local history. Anything that has to do with Georgetown or South Carolina, I just en- enjoy it. And I think it came from toting around that book, but I thought I had lost it for a while there. So I went down to Waterfront Books and spoke with the owner there. And she informed me that Julian Bullock, he had passed away. And when he did, he had several daughters and his book rights were divided up as, a, you know, for inheritance among his kids and the Mm. one who got the rights to this book she lives downtown in one of the houses that had a story associated with it and would wake up in the middle of the night there are ghost hunters there with their little magnetic readers and having seances and trying to call up the dead (laughs) and you know I just can't be mad at her for that because if I woke up in the middle of the night with strangers on my porch trying to call up the dead I don't think I'd be very happy either so (laughs) like don't do that people don't go ghost hunting on somebody else's house okay call ahead (laughs) so I found my copy when we were sorting out stuff when we moved in a box in the garage immediately to sit down and go clean Mm -hmm. it off and read it abandon my children (laughs) and husband with half of our belongings sitting out in the driveway and they're just standing there like what (laughs) I was so excited because I was like oh I thought I'd never find this appropriate period garb and 
I loved it. I was there for mm-hmm. it when I was old enough to be a teenager and volunteer. I did it every year until they decided not to have it anymore. But wish they would bring that back. That would be fun. We're moving and very happy to be reunited with it. And now I want to sing that song. Okay. Two things about that. Number one, I'm getting this strong visual image of you just like sitting, like the closest sitting area. It doesn't have to be a chair. Maybe you just sat on the floor at the coffee table. You just walked <laughs> in and found the first spot of oh, yeah. at the kitchen table. Yeah. You're just sitting there at the dining room table. And then the boys come in. They're sweaty. They're gross. They're dirty. And they're just like, um, excuse me. And you look up in this haze, this reading haze. Like, but you no, more ha- no longer have color in your eyes. They're just completely blacked over because you're just in the middle of this book. But you're just like, what? Like, it will help here. As, as reading, sorry. That's super relatable. Also, there is a lovely painting of the Strand Theater, the balcony of the, so the lobby of the balcony of the theater and on the marquee uh it's ghost of the coast it says ghost of the coast so there it so it was painted during that time and there are children there's a musician playing underneath the marquee and there are children walking on that section of front street and now now i'm gonna think (laughs) about you when i usher upstairs and when i see my picture i'm gonna think about i'm gonna think you know what? This little girl, that's Christy. That's going to be Christy in my I head now. It. I think Bill Oberst did a Ghost of the Coast one-man show. I may be confusing that, so apologies. But there was also the tour by Prince George Episcopal Church. It was their fundraiser, and I believe the Bullocks went there. Yeah, I loved that thing. And I, mm-hmm. you would just get to go to one of the from spot to spot at the locations where these supposed hauntings happened. And there was an interpreter who told the story and there was a ghost. That's a good plan. Let's take a break. We're back. Oh, and it's my pick again. And it's a series called McDonald Hall by Gordon Corman. These books mm-hmm. are actually Canadian. They take place at a boarding school in Canada And it's an all-boys boarding school, if I remember. And about two best friends, their names are Bruno and Boots. One of them is very serious and studious, and the other is just so lively and fun. He's always finding himself (laughs) in some sort of situation. And I can't remember which is which. I want to think Bruno is the serious one and Boots is the silly one. They're also roommates, so they became best friends because they're roommates. You know, it, it's not like a, it's not like they hated one another and now they're best right. friends. They just, they're roommates. And so, cause a lot of times in, in, um, especially children's literature, they want to make people enemies and then they show how they have things in common so they can become friends. But this book is not that these kids start off as friends. They like one another immediately. And poor Bruno, he's always trying to keep Boots mm-hmm. from out of trouble, from getting in trouble and getting and trying to make him be more serious. But Boots is just <laughs> a host unto himself. He is a ball of energy and he cannot be contained. He has too many ideas. They have a headmaster who named Mr. Sturgeon. Boots finds that endlessly entertaining and he just wants to constantly harass and harangue (laughs) poor Mr. Sturgeon. He's just trying to run this school. He's, He's actually probably not a bad administrator. He's just an authority figure and Boots obviously has a problem with that, which is probably why he's in boarding school. Oops. I can't remember how many books are in the series. Um, I've tried looking on thrift books last night to see, but I, there are lots of different covers. And so I never, and sometimes they've been the same books have been renamed for American audiences. Right. So it was hard for me to pin them down, but don't (laughs) worry. I will. And then I own them. But I remember just sitting, this is one of those books like you would go to the coast who you would just kind of, when you found it, you would just stop what you were doing and you had to read it. This was the McDonald's Hall books for me. I remember, but then I found the books again under, and they're still in Mm -hmm. their box because they were a box set. I'd, I'd received them as a gift. And so they were a box set. I found them under a pile of clothes in the bottom of the closet. I was like, well, guess I'm done cleaning because I'm sitting here my mom finds me there crying laughing sitting in the bottom of the sitting of the closet with the, all the clothes <laughs> strung around me because I had ceased I had ceased to be I was in the book tears streaming down my face laughing at the adventures of Bruno and Boots I don't remember ever laughing so hard <laughs> at some books right 
before. And so I hold these very, very dear and I will track them down. I will, I will track these books down and, and read them again. And once again, I want to read them to see if they hold up. Do I still find them funny? Or I go, oh, this is just middle grade humor <laughs> through and through. What's okay, your next, mine, what's your next in, in complete mm-hmm. honesty, my next one is Anne of Avonlea by Ellen Montgomery. I love the Anne of Avonlea series. Mm. Read it. It's still on my shelf in prime real estate. I just adore it. But I spent a lot of time talking mm-hmm. about it last week, I feel like. So what I'm going to say instead is the Heart Quest book, which are pick a path, plot, find your own adventure books. And these were, you know, Ooh. they're, I think they were kind of medieval. There were adventure and romance and all this stuff going on. But any of those find your own adventure books or choose your own adventure books. I loved those things. I remember the library at Beck Middle School had some that involved elves and were very uh, Jim, reminiscent of Jim Henson's the, or the Dark Crystal. And I was all about that stuff when I was little. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> so if I could remember the title, I would. <laughs> would share them with you but I I don't know I loved anything where I was able to immerse myself and choose it we grew up in the 80s and Dungeons and Dragons were a no-no in the church and so you know oh boy like, yeah it hadn't been that way I'm thinking I probably would have loved it because <laughs> I love getting into right. it and being able to choose your own adventure and, and see how your choices stacked up against what could have been quick sidebar related to but not really number one do you do you still have those books your your choose your adventure your heart quest books ones with the elves and right right right. i do have the whole i have the but um okay (laughs) we need to go through those like that would be so much fun and we're gonna read through them and choose our own heart quest (laughs) adventures that's gonna be fantastic number two there's a podcast i've been listening to called the adventure zone it's three brothers and their dad basically playing a Dungeons and Dragons game. Hilarious. They get so into their characters. Like they have voices. It's like listening to a radio play. Uh, And I think that's why I love it. But then they break and then they're they're themselves because they have to roll. I don't understand anything (laughs) they're doing with the rolling and stuff. I need you to do a perception check for me. Like, I don't even know what that means, but I'm here for it. I have been laughing so hard at them. So I'm probably glad that I missed out on all that because growing up, it was seen as of the devil to play those. It was satanic to play those. Um, oh, do you remember the cartoon? There was a Dungeons and Dragons cartoon. They like went on this roller coaster ride. And I ended don't up remember in a... this. Oh man, I was not allowed to watch yeah, it was a Saturday morning cartoon. They like were on a haunted roller coaster or something oh. and it threw them into another dimension. I've watched like one episode and it was super interesting to me, but I was like, nope, no, you can't watch that. <laughs> Jesus doesn't like that. Meanwhile, I was okay. It was okay to watch the Smurfs. I could watch the Smurfs or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or any of that other stuff. Oh, my entire knowledge of Dungeons and Dragons in its entirety comes from reading Ready Player One and what and watching stranger things that's it that's all i can tell you there you go mine comes from ready also shared ready player one and um oh. Oh, the big bang theory <laughs> i didn't think about them yes i also have i have a sister casey um my half sister casey um lives in um about an hour outside of manhattan she lives um and so but her husband um is like um he's like a game master or whatever and their basement is set up for stuff like they have uh, they have game nights i mean it's a fantastic setup they have down there but like and i'm just like what was it like to grow up not being afraid that everything <laughs> you did offended god like i don't right i i will never know what that's like like everything everything offended god i would you know so and you lived in fear of you don't oh, want to go to hell, so you don't want to do anything that's going to offend him. So I, I'm always so curious yes. about how other children <laughs> grew up, especially that's not in the Bible Belt. So <laughs> yes, yes, those not in the Bible Belt, not in the right. evangelical Pentecostal faith. Um, yeah, <laughs> I want to know how those people grew up. Like how did Presbyterians? <laughs> like I want to know that. 
super interesting to me. Um, oh, now it's my pick again. And this track, <laughs> still what we're talking about, is Benicula. Benicula by James and Deborah Howe, a husband and, another husband and wife writing team. Um, this, my sister and I actually read this book together. We would fight over who was really <laughs> reading the book. Um, I want to think it was probably her book because um, she was super into R.L. Stein and Dean Koontz, um, Stephen King. Um, and so, uh, ooh, the, and it started out with a Goosebump series. That's how it started with her. So mm-hmm. I want to think this was probably her book. And I like kind of did that thing where you <laughs> read over somebody's shoulder um, and got super into it because of the illustrations um which are fantastic so the premise of of Benicula is there is um the main characters are a cat and a dog Chester the cat and Harold the dog um Harold the dog is kind of like a sheep dog and mm-hmm. Chester is an orange tabby um Harold is super laid back and Chester is tightly wound so um and so the family and so the whole story is told from their perspective, okay. from Chester and Harold. And the, so the family adopts a little black and white bunny. And his name, for some <laughs> reason, is Bunicula. That's what, and oh, they okay. named that because of his markings. And he's got a little, his face is white, but he has a little <laughs> black widow's I love it. And black markings <laughs> on his back that look like a black cape. Oh. And his eyes are red. <laughs> yeah but I think Bunny's eyes are pink so I guess that that's okay yeah so um so and Chester is immediately mm-hmm. super jealous of the little bunny and is convinced that because of his name he's a vampire <laughs> and his markings he's a vampire strangely enough withered vegetables <clears throat> start showing up around the house little bunny <laughs> <laughs> and when Chester and Harold wake up the next morning um, there are withered vegetables all over. Um, Chester starts reading this book about vampires and how to kill them. And I specifically remember this, um, this illustration is a black and white illustration of Chester, the cat howling, um, over Benicula, who is being <laughs> smothered by a ribeye steak. Cause he read, you had to shove a steak into his heart, <laughs> into the vampire's heart. So he's, Oh gosh, I love it. <laughs> high comedy, Christy. High comedy. <laughs> Very highbrow stuff I'm reading as a child. Um, and still, I'm still laughing because it's still amusing to me as a 40 year old. Like this is oh, this gosh. is my level it of comedy here. Hilarious. Um, I, I just I loved it. I read it over and over again. It was one of those reread books for me, and I think it was really. Uh, it was my first taste of horror comedy. I'm not a horror fan. I've never read or watched um, on purpose a Stephen King movie. I think I saw five oh. minutes of Cujo and didn't sleep for two weeks. So yeah, oh. that's going to be a hard no for me. So, but ben, uh, I, I remember, and I was four and walked in on my mom and dad watching a vampire movie one night, and it it scared me so badly that until the age of 12 I'd slept with my covers up to my ears because I was convinced that a vampire was gonna come kill me in my sleep or worse turn me into a vampire and then I would have to you know drink the blood of others (laughs) which was just seemed disgusting to me um so I don't want to live like that um so um but at the same time Benicula was super funny so, um, so that made it more appealing to me. It, it made it more palatable, palatable. I could take the horror as long as there was funny, which I think led me directly to Buffy the Vampire Slayer, other than it, the, than the television show being super smart, um, and having this super feminine, but yet all powerful female character, um, you know, it, it was also incredibly funny. Um, she, Buffy took very few things seriously because, you know, she's a 15-year-old girl. And um, so there's a lot of humor in that. Um, and so I think that 
that binocular is what started me on my fear fascination with comedy and also <laughs> funny vampires. Been, I may have seen the cover of this at some <laughs> point, but I don't recall this as a child. I would have loved it. I don't, I don't think I read anything about vampires yeah. or werewolves mm-hmm. until I was in high school and read Dracula and then, of course, Anne Rice came out with Interview with a Vampire. and We all had to go see that because it was packed with Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise and Christian Slater and all of that. So, which when we rewatched it, we rewatched that movie Halloween of 2020 and the hair is just offensive. <laughs> it's awful. Mm. I can't even look at them and take the whole thing seriously. It was, oh my gosh. I <laughs> If you need a good laugh, there you go. But um, yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't think I did a lot of. I did mystery, but I didn't do like monsters or anything until I was older. My high school best friend Crystal introduced me to. She had some Stephen King books, and I read a, a few of his short stories. I like yeah. those better than his novels. They get a little deep and long, <laughs> so I liked his short works better. Well, I love the description. Uh huh. But anyway, <laughs> still in uh, My um. <laughs> all right. Well, we're just gonna move right along <laughs> because we can camp out on vampires all day long. Moving right along. Moving right along. Moving right along. All right. Number five for Christy: Nancy Drew and River Heights. So. Nancy Drew lived in River Heights, Ooh. and that was a spinoff series by, I was going to say the same author, Carolyn Keene, but as I learned <laughs> a couple of years ago, not a real person, very disappointed, very scandalized, very offended. <laughs> was 43, no, I'm 43 now. I was 40, driving into work, heard it on New York Public Libraries. Uh, the librarian is in podcast and I was just shocked and floored oh, and God. called my mom and my mom's like yeah it's like, how did you know this and not tell me what is wrong with you like how could you let me believe this my whole life <laughs> I can't believe this Carolyn Keene is not a real person that shows you I'm not uh <laughs> one to look up authors I guess <laughs> but I've gone that long without knowing she wasn't a one person so um yeah, the nom de plume got me. I was very disappointed, but I loved Nancy Drew, loved Nancy Drew Hardy Boys mystery crossovers, and totally shipped Nancy mm. and Frank Hardy because I thought that's how it should be. Why was she with Ned? He doesn't solve mysteries like she does. So I was just completely wrapped in with, uh, you know, watching people and things and that fact that a teenager could figure this stuff out and and do this kind of work I loved it I loved it that probably why I love Veronica Mars even though it's a little bit darker than Nancy Drew's but loved it mm-hmm. well Nancy Drew is also um a female character who can do stuff um you know she doesn't rely right. on Ned to come save her um you know she does this on and they're they cozy are. they're yes. cozy mysteries you know and what I, I mean? Love that. I still love a cozy mystery. Um, <laughs> I do. I do too. I'll take that over a thrill. I love, you know, a good thriller that's not too, too dark and evil, evil. But uh, cozy mysteries are just—I <laughs> love it. I I have a hard time with thrillers. I'm just going to be honest. Um, I, a lot of times, um, women are in danger. There are, or, or they've already been harmed. Um, you know, ooh, there's a serial right. killer out killing women, you know, so I, I have a really hard time with that. Um, and it's always, um, you know, it's almost always the man who has to, you know, who's racing against the clock. Also, when I think about thrillers, I think about um, uh, like Jack Reacher, people like it's stories about cops who are, and there's nothing wrong with this. Some people right. just really love that, that tension in a book. And um, I feel like I have to live in this world. I don't want to read right. fictional accounts of things that happen in this world. That kind of like, right. 
that's kind of like how I am. It's, it's like listening to a fictional account of the news or a police blotter. And I, I don't want that. I don't need that. Um, I don't like to feel me have, reading right now the, the Dresden Files series, which is about a male detective. But he's magical mm-hmm. and he really is fighting for the good. Um, also, but also in the Dresden Files, I, don't you love how I justify my thoughts? Um, in the Dresden Files, there are several women, um, several female characters who, um, who really hold their own. They don't rely on Harry to yeah. come save them if they find themselves in trouble. They get themselves out of there. Well, oftentimes they're not the ones in trouble. It's Harry in trouble and he has, <laughs> they have it. to come save him. So. <laughs> Um, it's a nice little, it's a nice little twist. That's his, the Dresden Files is as close to a thriller as I can get. I, I, I don't, I don't right. like the idea of, of reading. And that's kind the of news, why I think I've only basically. read one in fictional true crime book. Mm-hmm. I beyond that, if I can't learn it on mm-hmm. Unsolved Mysteries or Wikip- Wikipedia, I, I don't need to know. <laughs> <laughs> don't need to know. <laughs> it's <laughs> right back to the 80s with unsolved mysteries that was sunday night television oh no was it saturday nights i don't remember uh, it was weekend night viewing I, for sure at our house we my mom loved unsolved you. mysteries and rescue no wonder we have anxiety as adults um, <laughs> this was oh, our childhood yeah. viewing yes and america's most wanted oh man america's most wanted and every single episode during the commercial break, one of the commercial breaks, my mom would inevitably look at me and my sister and go, that poor man, you know, he lost his little boy. He lost his, he, his little boy was kidnapped. And that's why we have code Adam now. And that's why I tell you to stay close to me when we're in the store. Like, oh, every once a week, once a week. Oh that's what gosh. we do. But now, Murder, She Wrote, I can't get enough of it. I love Murder, She Wrote. But they're cozy mysteries. You know, they're cozy mysteries in television form. I was cleaning out a corner of our living room. It makes me sound like um, we have a horribly messy living room. But um, it it was just a corner that had not been, that I was going through a thing and I needed to clean out of that corner. Um, But Murder, She Wrote was on uh, a marathon. It was, the name of the channel is literally Cozy, but it's Uh C-O-Z-I and it's on our Roku. Well, it's on, um, it's on Hulu Live and it's called Cozy. And they play Starsky and Hutch and Charlie's Angels and Murder, She Wrote, Little House on the Prairie, The Office. Um, so all of these wonderfully <laughs> comfort- comforting things to watch. Yeah, I probably watched <laughs> 10 episodes But you of did Murder, it while she you were cleaning. Me. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I just, my grandma loved Murder, She Wrote. And I just, I just felt such a strong connection to Jessica it. Fletcher. And, and now, like, a I went through last year, like an Agatha Christie phase. I love Ath- Agatha Christie, but um, anyway. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Christie. Wait, yes. you shipped Nancy and Frank. Is you that know, the first I time you shipped characters been. together? Well, beyond. Right. Beyond because Anna I don't think. Yes, because I I just I thought this is the perfect match. Um, On earth are they not together? Never mind that they don't live in the same town. They're fantastic. So we just love that. There's got to be. I'm gonna look for it. There's got to be some Nancy and Frank (laughs) fan fiction out there somewhere. Somebody's written something. We you just finished the Hardy Boys Mysteries series that just came out. I can't remember if it's on Hulu or Amazon, but it was so good. But the whole time I'm like waiting for him to meet a Nancy Drew, but she didn't come. <laughs> but, yeah. Who's Nancy? Fine, fine. Didn't she play Nancy Drew at one point? Emma Roberts did. Like, where's Emma? We need her now. I want her. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. All right. We are um, to the last one. Let's yeah. see. It's my final pick. Oh man. Okay. So my final pick is a problematic fave. I like to call it. I discovered it in the tenth grade from my English teacher, 
Her name is um, my English teacher was Kathy Anderson. She and I are friends in real life now. We're not just teach. We're not teacher and student. After I graduated and became an adult, we reconnected through our theater because um, she was on the production board and I was in a show and you know um, one of one of the um, she ushered one <laughs> night and I was like, oh my gosh. And I called her by her teacher name. She's like, I'm Kathy to you now. I'm like, all right. So anyway, Kathy introduced Gone with the Wind to me. Um, it really bonded us over this thing because she is originally from um, Pennsylvania. And, um, but she has always been fascinated by Southern culture. She loves living in the South. She's lived here for like 30 some years. Um, and so she, so she loves Gone with the Wind. She had the posters in her classroom. Um, and, I was, I had never really heard of it. I can't believe I got to be 15 and had never heard of it. Um, but she introduced it. So I mean, when she started talking about it to me, I immediately went and checked it out in the library and was just hooked. Now, the way that Margaret Mitchell, the author portrayed, and the movie has this problem as well, um, because it, it is of its time. It was written in the thirties. Um, but, you know, the, it has a very problematic way of portraying slavery and that I'm pretty sure. I, now, I have no doubts that the Mammy character who had not only raised Scarlett's mother, mm -hmm. but raised all three of those girls. I'm sure she did love them, but right. I'm also pretty sure she didn't like being a slave. You know what I mean? Like, and I didn't like the portrayal that Mammy was super happy being a slave or that any of the other right um characters who will i say also very distinct personalities like they didn't just have an all-encompassing okay well this is the slave character they were all pretty fleshed out margaret mitchell actually did a great job of that but she also kind of glorified it and right. kind of made them like oh we're just so happy to be slaves to be enslaved and that's how i should say it uh, we're so happy to be enslaved people you know because you know they weren't you wouldn't be i wouldn't be so right. why should I assume that they were? Um, anyway, I've read this book four times um, and I mm -hmm. own a first edition of it. Uh, it's like a mm -hmm. third pressing, but it's still a first edition. It sits on my favorite shelf um, along with the paperback that I read. I don't ever touch this book. It's too special to me. Um, Scarlet is a very interesting character. Um she has a very forward way right. of thinking for her time. Um, she wants, she wants to marry for love. She's not thinking about, well, this will, you know, this match will make my family stronger. Right. She wants to marry for love. She wants, um, she wants to have fun. She wants to go to parties and wear pretty dresses and she wants to be adored by all the boys in the County. But at the same time, she, um, as she gets older, she starts to realize how incredibly important her land is and her family is and how she has to fight. And when I say fight, literally fight, physically fight, um, union soldiers, um, people who attack her in the woods just because she's a woman riding to the lumber right. mill alone, um, literally fight. And she's a very modern woman in that sense. Like she, she's going to make her own money and she's going to do what she has to do to keep her family land. Cause it, that was very important to her, her family land. So I just, Scarlett um, has a temper and um, she is such a, such an right. opposite, such a foil to Melanie who is just by all accounts, the quintessential southern belle she is pleasing she is sweet and refined and well-read and um just wants to be um you know the woman of the house and i always wanted to be a melanie to be so caring and thinking about others before you think about yourself but i just i'm not i'm a scarlet <laughs> i want what i know. want <laughs> And I won't be devious, but I know I, I will do what I, <laughs> right. I'll do what I have to do to get Melanie what I want. Melanie was a what little one-dimensional for me. Right. She, she, like, mm. she mm -hmm. didn't feel real. I'm like, nobody's that nice. Where's your, where, when are you going to get angry? When are you going to fight back? When are you going to, I don't know. I, I just felt. Yeah. I think 
the movie now and this a lot of credit goes to olivia de Havilland. okay Fan, wonderful fantastic right. actress who brought dimension to melanie because you can see we we could do an entire episode on this book um we can um through olivia de Havilland's performance we can see dimension to melanie we can see her right. heartbreak when her husband is leaving for war and we can see mm -hmm. um her anger at Scarlet at mm -hmm. that final party at Ashley's birthday party. Right. Um, but she has to keep up a brave face. She has to do the proper thing. And that all, all goes to Olivia's acting because you're right in the book, she is kind of flat. I think she's there just to serve, um, serve a purpose. And that is to show, I hate to say to right. show Scarlet right. what she will never be. You know what I mean? That that's kind of how Scarlet is. That's how that's the that's the Scarlet and mm -hmm. Melanie. Like we're we're best frenemies, and you Melanie is the thing that Scarlet will never right. be because she can't. She's not built that way. Yeah, Bachelor top six. So, okay, my last that's, that's all my books. I, so I cheated <laughs> for my last one, and just we'll we're gonna do a category, which is. I guess we'll say short literary classics. These are ones that they assigned us in high school, but they stuck with me. And I remember just truly enjoying them. The first is The Jungle by Upton Sinclair. And it was written to kind of shed light and bring attention mm -hmm. to the horrible conditions that factory workers were living and working in in the industrial age. From what we see here in the South, we were very agricultural and didn't have all the the factories that they have up north so i i that might be part of it and 1984 by george orwell you know that's what introduced me to uh dystopian Ooh. literature and i just loved it it was scary in a very real this could happen kind of way so I, of course that's way up there and then uh, the the winner being Lord of the Flies by William Golding loved that book loved it was fascinated mm -hmm. by the dynamics mm -hmm. yeah. of kids acting like monsters but real life when you put yeah. people in situations where they know there will be no consequences they're going to act crazy they're going to do things that they wouldn't normally do in society and I found the whole study of it fascinating and mm -hmm. read a article interview with the author and he talked about you know the only way you were going to get these dynamics if, if the group was all boys if you had introduced girls and boys then the boys are going to be look, trying to impress the girls if you had all girls it's completely different dynamic they're just going to handle the situations completely differently but you know <laughs> it was just horrifying and fascinating but again, in that very real, you could see how it happened. You could follow their logic. You could see where they were making the horrible, cringy choices. So that's my final, my my three literary classics that I loved in high school. I, full confession, 1984, I read the oh. um, Cliff's Notes. Or I couldn't get through it. Did not. I remember. I remember being assigned to read it as a senior. I just. I just couldn't. So I think I checked a book out from the library that had like a lot oh. of literary criticism, <laughs> but then had an complete right. summary of 1984. And it was like, yeah, this is what I want. This is this is for me. So yeah, I just. I had a really. I can think I read the first chapter. And I was like, how am I going to make it through this book? I cannot make it through this book. And so I have never read, I know what happened, but I've never read 1984. The Lord of Flies, however, is okay. sitting on my bookshelf in there. I wrote my senior term paper. Yes, it was that, <laughs> that meme where I better not read what I think I just read. And then I had to go back and read it again <laughs> to make sure that that's what had happened. I was just like, no, like it's free. Oh. I was screaming. I know I was screaming at the book for, for, for baby. Poor baby people. This is good. These were, I, we picked some good books. If I will say so, if I do say so myself, we picked some classic. I am a fan classic of classic, and I'm going to literature. find Vanicula because <laughs> this just sounds hilarious. But we, 
<laughs> we would love for you, really our listeners and fellow readers, to tell us what your favorite books were as a kid and how they shaped you as a reader today. Did we mention some of your favorites or do you have some that we didn't mention? Did you disagree with any of our choices? Send us a message. Let us know. You can go onto Spotify or Anchor and record a message that we can share and play. You can email us at foxandheronbooks at gmail.com and we can read it on the air however you'd like to do it but we really want to hear from you guys and see how our lists match up with y'all and now we're going to take a quick break the last time we spoke you were going through every reader's nightmare you were in the middle of a book slump i'm going to tell you guys about a book i read it's a new release Mm -hmm. it just came out earlier this month it's called madam by pv Wynn. And it is gothic feminist literature. And I saw that and I thought, I'm not sure about that because I'm not very into feminism as literature. But this was really interesting. And I thought they did it in a very realistic and very cool way. It it all takes place in a very elite, private, all-girls school on the cliffs of Scotland in this tiny little village. And it's gated in and it's in this magnificent, giant, old mansion. And it has caves and tunnels and high turrets and gargoyles. Everything you could imagine that would be creepy and awful to live and work in every single day. B.B. Wynn did a fantastic job checking all the boxes of Gothic. You know, there's the creepy old house. There's the hanging on to of the Mm -hmm. old ways, living oblivious to the times are changing. And it took place in the 90s. So... It was very isolating. The location was very isolating. There were no cell phones, no Wi-Fi, things of that nature. She tried to sneak down to, out of the gate and down to the village. And the people in the village did not trust or like the school or the people, anybody associated with it. So they weren't very inviting to her. Her only close friend had, that she used to work with had kind of moved on in their own lives. You know how it is when your coworker leaves, you miss them for a moment and then you move on. And so the only real person in her life was her mom who was getting sicker with MS by the day and not really able to help her in any way, shape or form. So, you know, here she is in this new school. She's the first new teacher been hi- to be hired in over a decade. And it was just all these questions. It was reminiscent of Rebecca a little bit by Daphne du Bourne when it comes to that lingering ghost oh. of a presence of your predecessor kind of a thing. Who was she? Why is everybody whisper about her, but nobody actually says anything mm-hmm. about him? That sort of thing. What happened to her? Where is she now? Who is this creepy girl who's following me around? Everybody is just, they act like everything's great. They never really tell you any real information. They kind of skirt around subjects. All the girls dress very prim and proper. You can only call the teachers madam or sir. No names whatsoever. It's just, you get this really strange vibe. You know something Mm -hmm. is very wrong, but you can't figure out what it is. And nobody's going to tell you. And when you find out what it is, it's very... (laughs) gross and icky and (laughs) like Mm -hmm. uh, you know so that's all I will say with because I don't want to spoil it for anybody because it's a new book (laughs) but I uh, (laughs) writing sir um yeah it was it was interesting she used the classics uh in our the feminine heroes and martyrs and villains of classic Latin and Roman literature to, uh, you know, portray those, how to be strong and stand for what you believe in kind of a thing. And it was just a very interesting take on it. I enjoyed it. Wow. It, it was. That sounds, <laughs> that sounds like a ride. Like, there was sometimes I was like, I I wish it had a little more action. I mean, that's how it is in those types of situations where people are gaslighting you. But I couldn't stop reading it either because I had to find out what was going on. Like, what the heck? And it was, it was crazy. It was quite the emotional roller coaster. I just finished also takes place at, it's not a boarding school, but is a fancy private school on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. Mine's, it was a YA comedy though. A YA romance, really. Love called it. Tweet Cute. Uh, instead of Meet Cute, Tweet Cute. 
And the, uh, it, it was such, it really is a retelling of You've Got Mail, except instead of warring rival bookshop owners, the David and Goliath situation is Jack's Family Deli, which is called Girl Cheesing. And Pepper, uh, her real name is Patricia, but her nickname is Pepper. Pepper's mom is the CEO of what used to be their family business called Big League Burger. And so and Jack and Pepper each run the business Twitter account. They go to the same school and neither of them knows that the other one okay. is their rival, but mm-hmm. they also don't like each other at school. It's a super competitive school. Pepper thinks Jack is lazy. Jack thinks Pepper is super uptight and high strung, but they, they're also both on the swim team. Well, one's on the dive team and one's on the swim team. And they, uh, so they, they are constantly interacting with one another that way. And each of them, you find out, has a little crush on a person they've been chatting with on, like, there's this, uh, it's an anonymous chat app okay. that a student at school has designed. It's called Weasel. And you can only, you don't, everyone, every user is given an animal name. So there's Wolf and Bluebird. And so Pepper is Bluebird, and she's got a little crush on Wolf. <laughs> and Wolf is Jack, and Jack's got a little crush on Bluebird. But they don't know. Okay. So there's several layers of we don't know who the other is working here. They do eventually find out that they are each other's rivals um, in, on Twitter. They find out who's running what. But then they've become friends at this point and they decide, well, instead of being mean, let's make it a competition. Let's make it, you know, let's make it a friendly, a friendly war. And they have lots of fun. And then it is eventually um, revealed who Jack, who, who Wolf and Bluebird are to one another. And it's beautiful and wonderful. And it just, oh, (laughs) it made me smile every time I opened my Libby app. And the narration began. It's told from the point of view, alternating alternating points of view of Pepper and Jack. And there is a female narrating as Pepper and then a male narrating as Jack. And so to hear their nice. um, alternating perspectives was fresh. I really liked that. Uh, a lot of times when you get an audiobook, it's just one person doing all the voices, which I don't mind. I mean, I like that too. I mean, <laughs> gosh, when you think about the narrator of the Southern right. Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires, you forget, you completely forget that that's just one woman doing all of that. <laughs> anyway, Tweet Cute, it just made, it just was such a happy, uplifting book. And it made me, it made me happy every time I, I opened it up. So that's it. That was, that's it for this week's episode. Don't forget to rate and review us if you can on your preferred listening platform. It will help us in the future gain sponsorships and to get us um, with potential guests. By the way, if you have someone that you know is a reader or a writer who you think we would be fun to talk to, let us know. If you want to come talk to us about something specific, let us know. You can also get involved in the bookish conversation by following us on Instagram at Fox and Heron Books, on Facebook at the Fox and Heron Literary Society, and our Twitter handle is Fox Heron. You can visit our website, foxandheronbooks.wix.com slash salons. You can find all the books we talked about in the show notes or on our website. You can also purchase books from our bookshop.org account, which benefits independent bookstores. Thanks for listening to Off Subject with Fox and Heron Bucks. Until next week, goodbye and happy reading. Check your shelf before you wreck your shelf. <laughs> now I don't have a, a, a sound. <laughs> Look at that was from the monkey show.